Hey everybody, my name is Alex and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. So thanks to everybody who's been listening to the podcast lately. I'm sorry about some audio hiccups that I've had lately. It's just software in the world is software in the world. I don't know what to tell you. Um, so I, I've been watching some old YouTube videos and I, I came to the conclusion that there was a film we should talk about. Um, and that film is Speed Racer, the live action movie. Your son seems to be interested in only one thing. All he talks about, all he seems capable of thinking about, is automobile racing. Racing's everything. For my family, it isn't just a sport. It's way more important than that. It's like a religion. Are you ready to become a real race car driver? Then sign that contract. He's just trying to scare you, son. What you do behind the wheel of a race car has nothing to do with business. You walk away from me, you walk away from this deal, no matter how well you drive, you won't win, you won't place. I guarantee you right now, you won't even finish the race. You think you can drive a car and change the world? It doesn't work like that. Maybe not, but it's the only thing I know how to do when I gotta do something. Move it, Speed, it's getting ugly out there. wasn't my idea. Oh, no. It was his. He's going to be very good. No, he's going to be the best if they don't destroy him first. Now, a lot of what people have... Um, heard about the live action speed racing movie has not been good. It's just it's just not it's not generally speaking kindly regarded as a as a even good movie, much less a great movie. However, much in the way that there is some anime that's not great, but it points to other things in the genre and is important for some insane reason, whether it be how stunningly tasteless it is or how, like, kind of brash in its use of technology it is. Um, If you want an example, no one should watch Handshakers. No one should watch Handshakers. It is a exercise in visual, um, in forced, in basically forced visual synesthesia and um, motion sickness. In fact, there are some people, including me, who attempt to watch that show and like, nope, like I'm not, I'm not letting this do do things to my stomach through my eyes. Um, but that that the kind of impressive part of Handshakers is not the final project, the, the final product. The impressive part is actually the use of so much CGI and so much, and so, and how much skill was poured into that show only for it to intentionally come out looking like Handshakers. Which is which is stunning because you have to remember for anything, just the the baseline amount of skill it takes to get something from paper to airing on TV is a lot more than most of us have, especially individually. So even if something's bad, if it made it from point A to point Z, 
in terms of the broadcast schedule, that's an accomplishment, whether we want to admit it or not. And that required a bunch of very skilled, very talented people to make happen. But then there's things like, you know, the, like, trash shows that, that shows that people regard as trash, like Pokemon or like, um, what, Pokemon's a perfect example, that were all of our, that were all of our first experiences with anime. And for me, one of my very first experiences with anime was the original talking nine million year, meters a minute, talking nine million miles a minute, insane speed racer anime. I, I saw reruns of that all the time. And so it's kind of fitting that the live action speed racer movie, which came out in 2008, was directed by the Wachowski, by the Wachowski sisters. They might've still been the Wachowski brothers back then was the first, was one of the first live action anime adaptations. I don't want to say, it was in 2008, I don't want to say it was the first, but it's definitely the first huge budget one. So to give you an idea, and not that these are reasons to do this, not that these are good things that happened, but, um, Back then, all James Cameron had was the rights to Battle Angel Alita. He hadn't yet; he had yet to actually successfully pitch that thing. Um, back then, Ghost of the Shell was one of the many like hushed whispers of a live-action thing. And now both of those movies have come to pass. And part of the reasons why both of those movies were made was because Speed Racer was made first. And from what I gathered from from really the YouTube videos, is dub is um, Warner Brothers had the rights for many many years, and there were like people attacked to it, dropped people attacked to it, dropped people attacked to it, dropped, and then the Wachowskis made um, made the Matrix. And while say what you want about that quote unquote trilogy, but it was really successful and it made them, it made the Wachowski sisters, um, sorry, I dead named them for a second. Um, it made the Wachowski sisters a household name in terms of not just directing, but sci-fi directing and directing a, and a style of directing, a style of movie being directed by them that is unique to, that isn't, that isn't unique to them, but is that's a precedent for the kind of thing they want to make. They they successfully took the like kung fu action movie, the um, modern sci-fi cyberpunk genre and mashed it together into the Matrix. And the Matrix is very, is also very clearly inspired by. It, I mean, it rips stuff whole cloth from Ghost in the Shell. It, and if you ask them to their face, they'll be like, yeah, that's Ghost in the Shell. Don't, don't ask questions. We knew we couldn't get that movie made, so we just made this thing. Uh, lo and behold, they probably should have been the people who directed the Ghost in the Shell movie. But moving on. That, that, you can go listen to me and my, cousin, my actual real familial blood cousin, Danny Cohan, lose our minds about that in um, the podcast feed in whatever you're using to listen to me right now, that is its own interesting, weird thing. (laughs) Um, But, so the Wachowskis were kind of like, give us money, we make movies. And the big project they went after was actually Speed Racer. And you had all the kind of you had the stars align on this. And I remember when I heard about this coming out when I was way younger, I was like, yeah, that that all tracks. That 50 plus 50 equals 100, let's go. <laughs> um, and 
The reason why I say that is because this is also Dragon Ball Evolution happened because Speed Racer happened. God damn it. Um, no, if you, if you invent electricity, you invent the electric chair scenario. Fuck. Um, but this was a, this was people who are truly, this was two directors who are truly a fan of a genre in which they are helping to widen. And it's a big deal. And it's that's a smart thing to have happen, especially for one of the first live-action anime movies. And the reason why that's an important thing to happen is because they'll get... They'll understand that they're doing things for a specific reason that maybe another director would avoid. And that, that happens all the way up and fucking down this movie. I promise you. If you've never seen... And also, I want to say, if you've never seen the live-action Speed Racer, and all you know of it is it's a terrible nightmare movie. A, it's a movie directed primarily for kids, like it's aimed at kids. It's not aimed at adults. Now, it's barely even aimed at fucking teenagers. And B, it's worth your time. I'm just going to say, usually I save this for the end of the recording, but the... The live-action Speed Racer movie is unequivocally, if nothing else, worth your fucking time. Because it's it's a bad movie because it wants to be this weird... The closest thing I could, you know, liken this movie to is the Michael Jackson music video for Scream. Which I know does not help. Maybe it helps if I say the Nicki Minaj music video for Scream, which is a, a send-up slash tribute to the Michael Jackson music video for Scream. Lots of Scream. Um, but the long and short of it is, is that a lot of other things in movies don't happen without Speed Racer proving it out first. And what I mean by that is Speed Racer is so it's so specifically almost entirely CGI that it it feels it feels like this movie is the first step to making something like um to, to making something to making something that is entirely CGI in the way that like you get something like um What's it called? Like, um, Blade Runner 2049. Or, um, that other, um, Jupiter Ascending, which hilariously is another, um, what's it called? Wachowski sister joint. And what I mean by that is that it, they wanted to make this movie and they wanted to make what they saw in their heads as a live-action, three-dimensional anime with the right characters and the right... with the characters that look like the characters you remember and the characters and the... and the whole look and feel of Speed Racer, which if you've ever seen the original Speed Racer, you know that it's not, like... It's from a period of time of anime when every all forms of animation blended together because the just the the way the medium was the way the um the art form was was much like everything was much closer together than it is now. Now, if you look at a American cartoon, it has more anime influence in it than the other way around. Back when Speed Racer was produced, there was a lot of really, there was a lot of traditional animation influence in the stylings of Speed Racer. It still has, like, anime eyes and, like, you know, people talking with only their body moving. But generally speaking, it has a feel where it could go either way. And so... What I want to start here is because I, 
is actually the casting, because I think the casting is really important to the successful parts of Speed Racer, of the Speed Racer live-action movie. Um, you have Emilio Hirsch as Speed, and at, he does, he is, he is Speed Racer. He is, he looks the part, he plays the part really well. It's, the other, the other thing about Speed Racer is that because it was a fairly early on um, anime, it doesn't have a super. It, ha, it has a much deeper plot than American cartoons, that's for sure. Um, but it doesn't have a super complex plot. It has a plot that worked for the show at the time, but wouldn't necessarily a condense well into a movie, or b be modern enough for the movie at at the time it was made. And what that what that ends up translating to is the plot feels a little disjointed in the in the two thousand eight live action adaptation. But the characters like in Speed Racer, who's like this earnest, wants to be very honest, loves racing kid, and then um, you have Matthew Fox as Racer X, and he, he like once again in the black spandex with the big X and the and the X fucking swim cap mask, he he looks and fits the part. Um, you have Trixie played by. Um, Christina Ricci, there's not much reason for her to be in the movie, but she was in the original show and she was Speed's, like, love interest, so they they have her there because, once again, this is the Wachowskis, and they, they are making a thing that they are truly fans of. It's not like they read the books, like, um, they read the books when they thought it was optioned, and they're like, now I can go for it. It's like, you can tell they grew up watching this stuff. And then you have, um, you have Susan Sarandon as Ma Racer. She's pretty okay. But you have the, you have the God casting of, um, just run on my head, of John Goodman as Pops Racer. And Pops Racer is just like it it you know those terrible I mean they don't do them so much anymore. Um because the Disney Channel, at least from what I know, because I don't have cable, um, isn't what it once was. But you know those terrible like what if castings like, hey, we're gonna pick mostly Disney stars because they have they look like fucking cartoon characters already. Um and we're going to cast out a live-action Naruto movie. Um, but, you know, um, put Elvira in a wig as Tsunade because those are not family boobs. Um, those are porn star tits. Um, but the if you were going to do that for this, for a Speed Racer movie before this movie was made, John Goodman goes in the slot as as Pop Racer every time. Just every time. And it's like, (laughs) if I were the Wachowski sisters, I would have been like, nah, like, first call we fucking make. And so that's a big part of what I think is a huge success of the movie, is they have this really great casting the only thing I would um the the only thing I would have done differently is I would have done um I would have hired I would have done somebody different for the evil business magnate who threatens them just because he only and it's it, 
it's undercut by the fact that he's being so ham and he's hamming it up and he's having a great time clearly doing the role, but it's very clear that he is almost in a different movie. If that makes any sense. And so you have all these actors and then you have largely a CGI backdrop. And you mix that in. You you have a pretty great cast and you have a largely CGI backdrop. And then you mix that in with um, their fact that most of the transitions from shot to shot are just cross wipes. And when I say cross wipes, I mean the most insane fucking, if you're familiar with Giant Bomb, it feels like a Giant Bomb cross wipe. Giant Bomb is a video game um, podcast, but also a video game website. Um, and they are insane, and I love them, but there's some nutty cross wipes on their videos. But the that combined with the almost like neon visual style makes this a movie that feels that feels almost like a cross between a comic book between a um manga anime and um and um live action with a little bit of that like motion manga stuff like like 2.5 um anime like 2.5D um anime mixed into it and watching I'm pretty sure I saw this movie in the uh, in theaters like I'm fairly certain I saw this movie in theaters but I can totally understand why the hell you wouldn't want this movie? Like you would, you would walk out of this movie and be like, "That, that's not for me." Like, no, thank you. And that's because it's got so many effects, and it's so fast-paced, and it's so. It's a really visually aggressive movie, and it doesn't take any. It doesn't pull any punches in terms of we're going to tone it down just a little so you don't so you don't feel it as much like so like a perfect example is there's ways they could go with the Marvel movies that would make them so loud and so visually aggressive that you wouldn't want to watch them um they take most of those opportunities by the horns and ride it to its logical conclusion in Speed Racer. They, uh, the great, um, there is a great, um, saying about technology. Generally, it's applied to technology that goes, they spent so much time trying to see if they could, they never stopped to ask if they should. And this movie is that upside down and backwards. It, it, it is so that saying in a nutshell. There's so much that they tried to figure out how to do and did. They never, it feels almost like they never stopped to, to wonder if they should have done it that way. What what ends up happening to the film is it becomes this weird like art film in the way that like Willy that either Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory or um Charlie in the Chocolate Factory are weird fucking art films or um there's all there's every once in a while there's a movie like Speed Racer that just looks like a banana sundae full of fucking crazy, and it had and that's because it has 
so much style for so little substance linking it to it. Another perfect version of this is um something like um Sky High. And you'll notice a trend here. Sky High is a movie that looks like this, that that has moments where it feels like Speed Racer. Um, Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Um, Spy Kids. Any of the Spy Kids stuff, basically. And the reason for that is because it's not aimed at adults. And like I said, Speed Racer. Like Speed Racer is ultimately not aimed even barely at teenagers. It is, it is a movie aimed at the original audience for Speed Racer, and that was young kids, primarily young boys. I think if you're like a... If you're like a 10-year-old boy, you fucking look... And you watch Speed Racer, you'll probably fucking love it. But... The problem is, is that when the Wachowskis sign on to do a movie, they last, the last the big movie they made was um, The Matrix. And The Matrix is not for children. It is a movie, uh, it is a f- fantasy for working adults. And it just, it, it feels, it, it, it feels odd to walk into a movie by directors who have made really com- of who have up till then made a really complex sci-fi sci-fi cyberpunk action movie for adults and walk out of and think that's what you and think you're walking into something from those directors and then walk out of the movie of a movie for kids and I'm not saying that this is necessarily a great children's movie. It is not. But it is a much better children's movie than it is a movie for adults. I, I think that's I think that's important because, like I keep saying, the Wachowskis wanted to make something that was a tribute to the original work. And by really focusing in on like a ten year old boy as the audience Absolutely did that. And that includes things like when Emil Hirsch holds a gun. Like, the thing that we all, the thing that we all, that we all know about cartoons, because if you listen to this, you know what a cartoon is, and you've seen, you've seen some cartoons in your day, is that they are pop culture for, they are pop culture for, by and for kids. And so as a result, they want to make choices that like adults might not approve of because then kids will be cooler. And that's part of like a meal is here with a gun and your 10 year old is watching it. Call the, call the parenting organizations and cancel this movie. I'm sure there was some level of like, Speed Racer pointed a gun at somebody when he was threatening his life in a snowy mountain ditch. Cancel this movie. Cancel the Wachowskis. It doesn't. That that's the point. Like kids like seeing that stuff because it feels dangerous in a way that it doesn't feel dangerous when you're an adult and you can separate it out completely. <laughs> and so I think that this movie that. Speed Racer is a lot more successful than it's given credit for because it's not it's not for us. It's for us twenty years ago. It's for our our, our child lizard our child lizard brain, and I also think that there's a something to be appreciated here because so many film so many films are prided on being subtle and you know tasteful and you know all the all the stuff that, that people say make good art if you look at anime a lot of that a lot of like the applications of like good art also apply to anime 
but one of the things that brings people the most joy in entertainment and in art is when stuff feels stuff feels vibrant. And one of the thing and one of the things you can't say about Speed Racer about Speed Racer the live action Speed Racer is that it doesn't feel vibrant. It feels more vibrant than most things, honestly. And once again, I go back to the Wachowski sisters, and they did that because they wanted to make a tribute to the, like, loud, um, onomatopoeia, on-screen sound effect-laden, and to the specific to the fight. In every fight scene, you get, like, sound effect coming off the characters, like, pow, bam, whack, thud, and it... They did what they set out to do. They made a tribute to the original thing. And in that, in that way, it's also a success of a movie. And, and I think, I think, and com- you combine that with the, with the things that came of it. The fact that it was using, it was doing things with CGI that maybe shouldn't have been done, but it was doing things with CGI on such a scale that at the time, the Wachowskis were some of the only directors kind of qualified to do because the, the Matrix trilogy was this like continuing ramping up of the, of the ability of CGI and what CGI could pull off. And then their next movie is like they took Emil Hirsch and dunked him in computer code and threw him on a green screen. Um, as John Goodman sits in his director to actor chair in horror, giant claw floats over John Goodman, picks him up by the ankles, dunks him in same computer code, flings him at the green screen. Um, that the the rest of the movie industry would come to look and see its excess and say, okay, we can't do that. That's crazy, right? That's crazy, right? Yeah. But we can learn that if we tone it down just a bit, we can pull off things that, the the kind of amazing visuals that weren't possible before. And the thing about the Wachowskis is they have this, one of the reasons why they're, why they still do stuff, although they haven't made a movie, I think, since Jupiter Ascending. No one's, no, no one's done enough rails of coke so far (laughs) to give them a major motion picture contract again. This is why I always think about it like some 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 Hollywood executive gets all coked up and he's like, "What are the Wachowskis doing? Give those nice ladies nine million dollars. We need a new crazy space opera." And it, the reason, one of the reasons why they keep getting funding is because the some of the only directors who make movies like they do. You know, one of the reasons why The Fifth Element is so fucking infamous is because it stands in a crowd of, like, three other movies um, that... that it, it stands in a crowd of, like, specifically three other movies, all three of them... Um, one of them is a Wachowski movie, Jupiter Ascending... The other one is that um, movie about the space bounty hunter kid. I forget what it's called. I did. A, I can find it in the feed. Actually, I talked about it um, in the podcast feed. But you can also find the thing on Jupiter Ascending, which I think I mentioned earlier. But hey, and those are sci-fi movies that aren't super concerned with. 
that are just as concerned with the outside visuals of the movie as they are with the um with the main plot and that's that sounds crazy but when you look at star when you look at a movie like star was franchise like star wars which is infinitely more successful than something like jupiter ascending and actually i would put um battle angel battle angel battle angel alita in the same category um if you look at something like star wars there's all this stuff about Star Wars, but it feels like nerd paraphernalia, if that makes any sense. Like, it feels like stuff that was demanded of the franchise by the audience. Not stuff that was initially super thought through. And I'm sure, like, George Lucas had something in the back of his brain for this stuff, but he never, in, never super intended to have to put it all out there constantly. Um, whereas something like Jupiter Ascending, something like Speed Racer, something like um, Battle Angel Alita, all of that stuff, well, for Battle Angel Alita and Speed Racer, that stuff comes preformed because they have original source material. But something like um, Jupiter Ascending, the beginning of um, the, the, parts, the parts of Jupiter Ascending it's just the shots is as much about that we need the shot for the movie as the atmosphere of the shot in total and establishing this like this universal galactic family of immortal assholes which is a true thing and it it that means that the movie has almost an undeserved at first blush kind of grounding because all of that stuff feels built up and feels interesting. The same is true of um, the fifth element. The fifth element is so weird and fantastical because they do things like have that weird blue late, blue opera singer lady who doesn't need to be there. She's there. But she doesn't need to be there as Chris Tucker in a weird costume. Once again, we do not need him, but he is there for our approval, mockery, and or otherwise. And that taking that approach to a movie where it's like you come up with the world first and the people in the world are a natural part of that is it's an odd it's an odd way to I would bet it's a fairly odd way to work now granted when it when that way works well it you reap the benefits when it doesn't work as well you can still get a pretty okay show so I would think I was um, bouncing back and forth between doing Speed Racer, the live action movie, and um, that Rooster Teeth show Genlock, which, before you jump down my throat, I know is not anime, but is so inspired about anime, I was ready to make an episode about it just to point a bunch of things out. Still might make that episode, but to cannibalize my own thought process here. Um, Genlock has a problem that is summarily avoided by something like, um, any of the, like, any of the Avatar stuff. Avatar is the last airbender stuff, including Korra. And that is that Genlock feels like there's so much more there than the story they're telling, and it as a result, feel dry, and because it is, it, it is itself referencing all of these different specific anime tropes and, you know, all this other stuff, it doesn't, it doesn't rise to, it doesn't feel like it's rising to the occasion 
in the way that something like the fifth element rises to the occasion, or in the way that um, more directly comparisons can be drawn, more direct comparisons can be drawn, something like the last airbender universe ends up rising to the occasion. Um, I've been, I was going to um, take a new panel on the road this year to conventions, but you know, the world caught, got sick, so no convention for Alex. But long and short of the panel that I was going to do was it was going to be on world building. And one of the magical things about all those super long-running shonen shows is that it, they have to, at the end of it, have a massive amount of world building. Because what the fuck else are you going to do for 9 million episodes? You know, uh, because there's just a, there's just a natural amount of world building you have to do to fill up the brain space of that much content. And that's why you end up knowing, like, the most obscure things about the oddest island in One Piece. Or the mo you end up knowing what's on the menu of, Ichir of Ichiraku Ramen in Naruto. Because the authors have to spend time on that because they have so much time to fill. And that was a unintended benefit of the um of the non seasonal shonen action show one of the things that they get to of that they don't necessarily have to do as much of in something like my hero academia or something like doctor stone although doctor stone has a weird um Deather island scenario thing going on um because they wiped out the entirety of civilization, so it's more tutorializing how to build a car, if anything, um, which is a thing they just did. But one of the things they avoid by doing that is having to flesh out all that stuff. Even though Speed Racer is... Let's say you've never seen Speed Racer. Let's say you've, say you've never seen the original Speed Racer cartoon, which at this point, some of you listening may not have. If you watch this movie, you'll still get a lot of the feel and the world of the cartoon. There'll be stuff that's like, the fuck? Like the gangster who's, dry, who's like secret lair is inside a moving fucking semi and he's got an evil racer team. And he's got an evil um, squad of um, hot rod racers who are like his goons. That, a lot of reviewers looked at that and were like, the fuck is this? To which anybody who's seen Speed Racer is like, no. Th those are the bad guys from the show. Like, a, an even more true-to-life movie would just be Speed Against These Jerks. And it, it ends up... It, and, and because it has... Because it tries to cram... One of the things that makes it feel awkward is they try to cram the, like, 57-episode-long Speed Racer's worth of stuff into this one movie that's um that is only that's only two hours and fifteen minutes, which is all at once too long for a movie, but too short to fit this amount of the amount of stuff that a fifty seven that fifty seven consecutive half hours would have in it. And the result is, like I keep saying, a movie that did not review well a movie that doesn't necessarily watch well if you're not a child. Um, this movie, this movie would probably watch, would probably go over fairly well for a like, for, for like the Nickelodeon crowd, if that makes any sense. It's got that vibe to it. Um, it's probably could sit next to something like a Dora the Explorer live action movie, if that makes any sense. Um, but. It 
it's important that it was made because it is it was the test and it one of the reasons why it took so long to get another movie made to get another live action anime movie made is that it did so poorly at the box office it did, it like it was a universal pan slammed into the ground real hard fucking failure at the box office but that's not because it wasn't that's not because the Wachowskis didn't um accomplish what I think they wanted to accomplish. I think it's because they wanted to accomplish a thing that was not for a wide enough traditional giant screen box office release audience. I think if this if this movie had come out now on home video, all of us would have fucking acquired it. Paid for it, downloaded it, you know, rented it, whatever. We would all have watched it. All the old fucking weirdos like me would have watched it. If for no other reason than curiosity, because we would have to know. We would have to know. I promise you. Like, we all be like, huh? And it... It turn it that's that's an important point because you always you always want to consider the frame in which art is being viewed uh, I had a great um coworker at one of my first um consulting gigs where i where he said you never want to let your work. I when I back when I was consulting as a um art director, a, a, a consulting art director for a company that made really high end phone cases, um he said you never want to let your art your work speak for itself because even if you're the best sometimes you don't know what it's saying, you can always advocate for your work, but you can't do it af- after like a day later. Um, and what that can also mean is you, if you make something and you put it in a frame for one thing, when really the best frame for it would be for another, then it, it, it hits differently because there are a different set of expectations and demands of of something that's on the size on the screen on a screen size of a actual movie theater versus something that's on the screen size of a even 50 60 70 80 inch TV and the, the reason for that is because there's a different expectation of budget taste level all the stuff I mentioned before and I think the Wachowskis made a movie that would play excellently on a TV screen, which is fitting because of what they were emulating. What they were emulating was never designed to get bigger than like a 32-inch, you know, turtleback TV. But the movie, but they made a movie that was released on like a thousand-inch cinema screen. And those the viewing parameters change the way you perceive things. And one of the reasons why I so quickly, once the, um, once COVID hit, built a, um, home theater setup in our, in our spare, like, laundry room, like, laundry thing is because I wanted a way to see things that were meant to be seen big, as big as I could. And I like have a like maybe 150 approaching 200 inch projected image in that theater. And um, if you ever wondered what I mean by this, go watch the movie, The Life of Pi. The Life of Pi is built to be seen as big as you can humanly see it in a dead dark room with absolute silence because it is one of the most hauntingly beautiful 
film I have ever seen. It is incredible. And it's made to be seen at that scale. I'm not sure the best viewport for something like Speed Racer, the live-action movie, and certainly not the best viewport for something like um, the original Speed Racer show, is that giant scale. I haven't seen the whole movie on a, like, massive screen. I, I haven't seen the whole movie on a, like, traditional TV screen, but I've seen enough of it to know. Like, no, this this play this feels better and more at home in a like more intimate um smaller screen experience and that's because its original source material was made for was really about that it was a it was a week to week um you know racer drama show for kids and i think when if you watch it and you watch it on like a normal TV, you can rent it from Amazon right now for three bucks and you watch it on like your standard TV. You don't do anything fancy. You'll probably enjoy it more than you would have if you like made it as big as humanly fucking possible and poured it into your eyeballs. Um, on that note, my name has, if you like this podcast, you can subscribe to it and whatever you need to listen to me right now. Um, if you like this podcast, I encourage you to share it with your friends. Um, I'll, I'll let them know to the guy who actually endorsed Speed Race as a movie because he's insane. Um, but on that note, I have been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. And I will talk to you on Sunday. <laughs>